Short on time? We've got you covered. Welcome to the 5-Minute Torah, where you can digest big thoughts on the weekly Torah portion in about 5 minutes. If you enjoy this teaching, please share it with your family and friends. Welcome back to Pirkei Avot and the Teachings of Yeshua. First, let me say thank you to those who have made it through this entire series. I know this has been different from my previous content, so thank you for taking the time to learn with me during this multi-part series. Hopefully, these teachings have been both educational as well as inspirational and have given you an introduction to a Jewish perspective of some of the teachings of Yeshua. Studying Perkei Avot in and of itself is a blessing, but when we study it alongside the teachings of our Master, it helps us place many of His teachings back into their proper Jewish framework. Before we get into the study, I would like to mention a few things about this final chapter. First, Chapter 6 isn't actually part of the text of Tractate Avot. It's material that's been curated from the Talmud and added to the existing five chapters of Avot to create a sixth chapter. These six chapters together are what we affectionately call Perkei Avot, the chapters of the fathers. These six chapters are studied each week between Pesach, or Passover, and Shavuot, thus the sixth chapter. Second, the teachings of this chapter have a common theme, the acquisition of Torah through study. Like chapter 5, we don't have many direct parallels with Yeshua's teachings in chapter 6. However, we have similar themes that we can pull from both Yeshua's teachings and those of the apostles that will illuminate this text for us. In this chapter, I will only be focusing on two Mishneot, but they'll take a little time to unpack, so let's begin. Chapter 6, Mishnah 1. Rabbi Meir said, Whoever occupies himself with the Torah for its own sake merits many things. Not only that, but he is worth the whole world. He is called beloved friend, one that loves God, one that loves humankind, one that gladdens God, one that gladdens humankind. And the Torah clothes him in humility and reverence and equips him to be righteous, pious, upright, and trustworthy. It keeps him far from sin and brings him near to merit. And people benefit from his counsel, sound knowledge, understanding, and strength. As it is said, counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. Strength is mine. Proverbs 8, 14. And it bestows upon him royalty, dominion, and acuteness in judgment. To him are revealed the secrets of the Torah, and he is made as an ever-flowing spring and like a stream that never ceases. And he becomes modest, long-suffering, and forgiving of insult. And it magnifies him and exalts him over everything. Let's begin with the first portion of this Mishnah. Rabbi Meir gives an entire list of merits one receives when occupying oneself with Torah. This list is undoubtedly derived from the accolades given to the Torah within the scriptures themselves. Proverbs 19 says, The Torah of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. This is Psalm 19, 7 through 11. Then, of course, we have the longest chapter in the entire Bible that's dedicated to showing the goodness of the Torah, Psalm 119. Some snippets of this psalm include the following. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Open my eyes that I may behold the wondrous things out of your Torah. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. We could go on and on. The point is that the boasts of Rabbi Meir are not simply manufactured claims. They are supported by the scriptures themselves. But these blessings don't come to someone who merely studies Torah. If a person wants to obtain the blessings Rabbi Meir speaks of, one should not only study Torah, but also allow the Torah to correct us and shape our character. As I mentioned many times already in this series, this is the reason Yeshua confronted some of the leading Pharisees of his day. They had plenty of Torah learning, but they refused to allow the Torah to transform them. Both the Ramchal, Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lozado, and the Baal Shem Tov, Israel ben Eliezer, were born at the turn of the 18th century. They both saw issues that needed to be addressed within Judaism. The Judaism of their day was fixated on the academic pursuit of Torah learning at the expense of character and developing a relationship with God. It had become lifeless and lost touch with its purpose. In the language of Isaiah, they honored Hashem with their lips but their hearts were far from him. Both of these men saw a need for correction and took to the task in their own unique way. The Ramchal emphasized the need for character development and wrote great works of Musar, such as Mesilat Yasharim and Derech Hashem. The Baal Shem Tov gathered disciples to himself, whom he taught the principles of serving Hashem with joy through acts such as singing, connection with nature, dancing, and verbally expressing one's love and devotion to God. These movements still continue today and have had a huge impact on the formation of modern Judaism. What was the problem with the religious Jews of their day? Did they not have the Torah? Just like in the days of the Master, they studied the Torah diligently, probably with even more fervor than the religious leaders of Yeshua's day. But humanity has the propensity to believe that knowledge amounts to salvation. For many religious Jews, this means knowledge of Torah. For many Christians, this means knowledge of Yeshua and His act of self-sacrifice on our behalf. In both cases, we have the tendency to exchange personal transformation for information. Is the Torah weak? No. As we read, the Torah of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The only issue with the Torah is that it's limited by our ability to submit to its authority. We have to engage with it and give it permission to speak life into us. It's the same with the work of Yeshua. Was the death and resurrection of Yeshua insufficient? No. As we read, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians 1, 
19 through 20. But this work has no effect on those who would merely make a confession of faith without allowing the Ruach, the Spirit, to come and take up residence in his heart and guide him in all of life's experiences. This is the caveat of free will, but an aspect that can have great reward if we put forth the effort to submit to Hashem's rule in our lives. In the next part of this Mishnah, Rabbi Meir said that if a person would occupy himself with the study of Torah, he would be, quote, made as an ever-flowing spring and like a stream that never ceases. The image of a constantly flowing spring of water, that is, living water, calls to mind the same imagery Yeshua used when he was teaching in the temple one year on the last day of Sukkot. We find this recorded in the book of John. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Yeshua stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Yeshua was not yet glorified. John 7, 37-39. John records this happening on the last day of the feast, the great day. The last day of Sukkot is called Hoshana Rabbah, which literally means the great save us. It's considered the day on which the judgment from Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is finalized. On each of the intermediary days of Sukkot, including Hoshana Rabbah, there was a particular ceremony that took place. It was called Simchat Beit Hashoeva the celebration of the house of water drawing. It involved a great fanfare led by the Kohanim, the priest, parading down to the pool of Siloam to draw water and then bring it back up to the temple and pour it out on the altar. This act was a petition for God to begin blessing the nation of Israel with rain, since the end of Sukkot marks the beginning of the rainy season in Israel. This ritual was loosely based on the passage in Isaiah that says, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. In these passages, we can see that a relationship with God's Word and a relationship with God's Messiah has the power to transform our very nature and bring forth life within us. The last part of this Mishnah says that a person who is consistently engaging in Torah, quote, becomes modest, long-suffering, and forgiving of insult. Paul puts it this way, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Messiah Yeshua have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Galatians 5, 22-24. When we interact with the living words of Hashem, we should come away transformed. This should be the fruit of Torah learning. Let's move to Mishnah number two. Rabbi Joshua bin Levi said, Every day a batkol, a heavenly voice, goes forth from Mount Horeb and makes a proclamation and says, Woe unto humankind for their contempt towards the Torah. For whoever does not occupy himself with the study of Torah is called Nazuf, the rebuked. As it is said, like a gold ring in the snout of a pig is a beautiful woman bereft of sense. Proverbs 11:22, And it says, And the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven or engraved upon the tablets. Quoting Exodus 32:16. 16. 
Read not harut, graven, but harut, freedom. For there is no free man but one that occupies himself with the study of Torah. And whoever regularly occupies himself with the study of the Torah, he is surely exalted, as it is said, and from Matanah to Nahaliel, and from Nahaliel to Bamot. Numbers 21, 19. Let's take a look at the first part of this Mishnah. This is Rabbi Joshua's warning that those who would disregard the Torah would themselves be dismissed by the heavenly court. Unfortunately, this attitude has historically been the attitude of Yeshua followers throughout the centuries. Because Paul has been misunderstood for nearly 2,000 years, one of the primary tenets of Christianity is that the Torah has been set aside in favor of grace working through faith. However, when Paul himself says this is not the case, we should heed his words. In his letter to the disciples in Rome, he said, Do we then overthrow the Torah by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the Torah. Romans 3.31 And of course, we have Yeshua's famous teaching, which says, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 5.19 May heaven help us to take the same stance as our fathers of our faith and teach others the beauty and wisdom of Torah in a life-giving manner. The second part of this Mishnah is interesting. It takes the text from Exodus 32:16 and puts a slight spin on it. The text says, And the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, graven or engraved upon the tablets. However, our Mishnah says not to read the word graven as harut, but as harut. Okay, so harut means graven or engraved, but harut means freedom. This doesn't mean to change the text, but this is an alternate reading. First of all, we need to understand what this Mishnah is saying. As we know, the Torah is written without any vowels. Therefore, one has to know both the context and the tradition in order to pronounce the words so that the passage reads correctly. However, this also gives the reader an opportunity to read the Torah in creative ways to explore subtle nuances of meaning that may lie below the surface of the text. In this particular case, the word graven or engraved is the word harut, as we said before, and it's written chet, resh, vav, However, if one keeps the exact same spelling but simply changes a single vowel, since the vowels don't appear in the text anyway, we get a completely different word. If we just pronounce this word hayrut rather than harut, it reads, and the writing was the writing of God, freedom on the tablets. If we look at the book of James, it would seem that he knew of this interpretation and used it to instruct his readers of the Torah's value. He says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect Torah, the Torah of liberty, or we could translate it freedom, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. This is James 1, 22 through 25. 
Here, James connects the concept of freedom to the Torah, something that Christianity as a whole sees as antithetical. How can the law give freedom? Isn't the law restrictive and the opposite of freedom? But we can see how this is simply a misnomer, an argument developed based on ignorance. Americans live in the most free country in the world, arguably the most free country that has ever existed. Yet we are subject to and bound by one of the most extensive bodies of laws that have, has ever existed. Our freedom is found within our laws rather than oppressed by them. How much more so can we say this about the Torah? The difference between the laws of a country like the United States and the law of Torah is that the first finds its origin in the wisdom of man, where the second finds its origin in the wisdom and beneficence of God. James, a faithful Torah-observant Jew, would have viewed the Torah in the same way, in the same manner as religious Jews today. It is a source of goodness and blessing for life. And his connection between freedom and the Torah was probably based on his familiarity with the concept that had been passed down orally and was eventually recorded here in the name of Rabbi Joshua. Well, this completes our study of Perkei Avot and the teachings of Yeshua. Thank you for joining me for this series. I hope you learned something from it, and it has illuminated both the teachings of the sages as well as the teachings of our Master, Yeshua. If you enjoyed it, please do me a favor and give it a thumbs up and share it with others. I plan on doing more series that are similar to this on various topics in the near future. So, if you have suggestions for a future series that you would like to see me do or would be helpful or meaningful to you, please let me know in the comments below. Until next time, blessings. Are you enjoying the 5-Minute Torah podcast? Want to share these 5 minutes of Torah with others? Please help spread the word by liking, sharing, and reviewing this podcast. You can also grab the printed version of Volume 1 or Volume 2 from Amazon. Perfect as a gift or for your Shabbat table. 5-Minute Torah. We've got you covered.